Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod, and we're going to continue our series in the Big Ten previews. And today we're going to talk about number seven, Iowa. Iowa finished season last year 26 and 10 overall, 12 and 8 in the Big Ten. They finished winning the Big Ten tournament, which I attended, and lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament to Richmond, which seems to be a very Iowa thing to do sometimes, it feels like. Ken Palm, they were ranked number 13, number four in offense, number 80 in defense. They're great in limiting turnovers, uh, number three, right behind Wisconsin, number two. They were 45th in three point shooting and 69th in twos. 51st in offensive rebound percentage and 71st in free throw percentage. And that's where the story gets a little bit worse when we start doing the defense. Not a very good defensive rebounding team. Uh, they were number 258 against the uh, threes and 180 against twos. Didn't foul a whole lot, but it was, in many ways, it was kind of a, an Iowa team we've gotten used to seeing, except they were surprisingly good last year after the departures of Luca Garza and Joe Weiskamp. Didn't really expect much, and little did we know they had Keegan Murray in the in the wings waiting to take over as a National Player of the Year candidate. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, look, I'm I'm not the biggest believer in Fran McCaffrey, but uh, I'll say I'll say this for him. One is that last season truly was a year to be proud of because I think pretty much everybody had Iowa sliding way back, and. The fact is they didn't. When you look at the record, um, you look at, at the statistical profile of the team, this was pretty close to the year prior, which had a lot more hype around it, much more in the way of expectations. So hats off to him in that regard. The, the other thing is Iowa's now had four straight years with at least 20 wins in the regular season. Now, that's not the measuring stick that it used to be. In fact, if somebody is citing 20 wins as being significant for much of anything in terms of, you know, whether a team is tournament worthy, et cetera, you can dismiss them out of hand because it really doesn't matter the way it used to. Uh, but that said, it does tell you something about a general level of competency. And he has gotten that program to that point where I think you now have to take them seriously pretty much every year as at least having a pretty good shot at being an NCAA tournament team, which means, you know, generally speaking, finishing in the upper half of the Big Ten. Now that you might say, well, that's, you know, that's not saying a whole hell of a lot, but that's from the perspective of a Michigan State fan. From the perspective of an Iowa fan, <laughs> right. where they'd really spent 
20 years in the desert between like the end of Dr. Tom Davis's competency, because his last few years there were not great. Um, and Fran essentially getting his program firmly on track, which happened about, I guess, four years ago. Um, there was a lot of bad basketball. There were some occasional individual seasons here and there, which were okay. But the, um, the Steve Alford era was a ton of hype and very, very little in the way of delivered, uh, delivery on that promise. The Todd Licklider period was horrendous. Um, which I'll admit surprised me because I thought he had a, a way of playing that might work there. It just didn't. And Fran has, has kind of pulled it off. I mean, I, you're, you have much more familiarity with the Iowa fan base than I do. Um, so I'll, 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 turn, I right, I'll turn it around and I'll <laughs> ask you this question. I wonder often when I think about Iowa, which isn't that often, but when I do, I, I, I wonder how those fans, what those fans think is a reasonable expectation. And I want to frame the question first before I let you answer. So when I was growing up, Iowa had a period of you know, 20 years, roughly, where they were more often than not pretty good and occasionally really good. And that spanned Lute Olson, then George Raveling, and then Dr. Tom Davis. They had, I believe, a couple of Final Four appearances. I, um, well, one for sure, maybe only one. They had the one under Lute Olson in, um, in uh, 1980 with Ronnie Lester leading the team. And then uh, Raveling and, and Dr. Tom Davis also had some very, very good teams in the 80s and, say, the first half of the 90s. And Iowa was kind of nationally relevant during that period. Even during this four-year run, I'd say maybe the, with the exception of last year, kind of, or year before last, you know what I mean, Luca Garza's senior year, yeah, COVID right. year. Other than that year, maybe, Iowa really hasn't been relevant nationally. And I, I do wonder, does that fan base think that it's realistic and, and that they should be what they were for a time? in the eighties and nineties, or are they okay with where Fran has gotten the program to and they'll ride with that and hope that, you know, he might have the odd year where he catches fire and goes on a run in March or, you know, finishes in the top three in the big 10, but that's not a year to year expectation. Yeah. That's a hard question to answer. I finally got my video fixed by the way. Um, yeah. I think the, the way Iowa fans look at Iowa, it, it is, you know, there's no professional sport in Iowa. You are uh, a fan of Chicago teams or, you know, I guess maybe Minnesota, maybe as far out west or south, like, you know, Missouri or Denver, if we're talking about football. But for the most part, Iowa is really all-encompassing for the state. Iowa State is really an afterthought for most of the state. And so it's not really something people oh, talk Jesus, about. Oh, Jesus, I just... So, I, I just glanced at the screen for the first <laughs> time. I, I have to tell the listeners... Um, is we we do these things with video. You don't see it. Thank God for you. But um, I'm I'm looking at someone wearing an <laughs> Iowa shirt hat. So just to inform you, what I've yeah, got a I've witness got my Iowa and tumbler a tumbler too. too. Jesus. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> so Iowa's yeah, the only um, game in town, really. Unless unless you're a. It's cyclone. the only game in town, and so I. Th 
Yeah, right. and there aren't many of them. I mean, I think it's pretty much concentrated around, unless you have to be pretty much alumni or live real close to Ames, which is not many people. So uh, even in Des Moines is mostly Hawkeye fans. And, and so they are the professional team. And I, so there's a lot of love for the team. And Iowa as a state is, um, I guess they're sort of just, that's sort of what they live and die by. And so even their football team, even when they have a team like this year's where there is some hope that they'd be better, and we've clearly saw, I mean, those who watched the first week, it was, yeah. you know, a debacle, I suppose you'd say. <laughs> they won. Uh, but there's always an expectation they're going to be bigger than they are, better than they are. And I think there's there's a belief that they are more relevant than they probably are to people outside the Big Ten. I think, you know, within the Big Ten, people pay attention to Iowa. You know, people were dread going into uh, Iowa playing in football, at least. And so basketball yeah, is fo- it's football, totally football. I would distinguish school. from basketball. I'm talking yeah, about right. basketball. Yeah. And so. Yeah, absolutely. And so for basketball, I think you just have to be competent and you know decent. And so the the occasional runs are all people are looking for. And I think you want to beat Ohio, Iowa State, you know, the beginning of the season. And and I think what what Fran McCaffrey has done is going to make it makes Iowa fans very okay. happy. Okay. So there's no he's put them on the same level as where the Tom Davis. So you don't detect any feeling that. Much of, I mean, every fan base has its lunatic fringe, but you don't get, you don't get the <laughs> sense that there are a lot of people in Iowa that are looking at the last four years and saying, well, you know, that's okay, but I still don't see any second weekend runs in the tournament. Never mind a final four. I don't see big 10 championships, you know, real ones, not, not the big 10 tournament. Um, you know, they don't, that they don't, they don't think, Boy, you know, we we had we had it once. We should be that again, because you know, if you go back again to the seventies, eighties, and nineties, Iowa was a major recruiting player. I mean they they got some guys out of this state, most notably Roy Marble Senior, out of Flint. Right. You know right. where it, it's unthinkable today that that would happen, but you don't, you don't get the sense, you know, and you look at what Fran has done hats off to him for turning them into what he has turned them into, but they're still not recruiting at a, even a top 20 level. You know, the guys who have been the real stars of that program during his era are guys like Keegan Murray, who was outside the top 150, Luca Garza. I don't (laughs) think was in the top 100 if he was it was barely you know so the big big start Wieskamp was a top 100 guy but not a not a mcdonald's all-american you know the the kind of recruiting classes that we take for granted at michigan state iowa fans would be dancing in the streets over you know fran is not able to do that and that was something that again back in the old days a lute olson a george raveling even for a while tom davis were able to pull in big time recruiting classes. Um, you don't, you don't see any sense. I, if that's the case, if you're right, that there's no sense that they feel like they should aspire to more hats off to them, because then I think they'd be a very realistic fan base. Cause I personally think Fran McCaffrey is not necessarily maxed out with what he's done at Iowa, but I think they should feel pretty good about where they are right now. That's my feel. Well, I think, yeah, and I I would say that I so I was there when Steve Alford took over. So I was at uh, at school and med yeah. school at that time, and and you know coming off the Tom Davis era, there was 
there was always people who said, you know, he's not he's not securing all the talent. I can't remember who it was. They lost some big a big recruit out of Iowa. Ended up at Kansas, oh, Rafe La- which, Rafe you know, LaFrance probably. LaFrance, right? Yeah, and, and Nick actually, and Nick Collison too. Iowa. They were playing. They lost Iowa. two of them. Rafe LaFrance and right. then Nick Collison. Collison's probably the guy you're talking about in that period because he came later. Yeah, and so th- there was always this concern with Kirk, Kirk Heinrich the too. Recruits. Was another Iowa guy, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, bring it all yeah. back now, and and there was a lot of angst with this. There was a lot of concern with with um, with Davis because the rumors of him having you know a drinking problem at the same time, and then he wasn't winning. And you know they were a team that just would make the NCAA. I want to say like every other year, yeah. Like maybe sometimes they'd make the, it like the, as an the, eight or nine seed. The back end of his career, and, but they weren't able to really that. get. Yeah. Yes, and they weren't able to get to the top of the Big Ten, and so that was definitely a concern. What happened then is with Alford, it was it was pretty much an um, unmitigated disaster. Although they played better as far as their record, it the program completely fell to pieces. And there's all kinds of I mean, the greatest story I have is, and you know, Iowa City is a really small town for people who have not been there. It is, I mean, I think the students are probably half the population of Iowa City. It's a really tiny place, uh, and and so things that happen in town everybody knows about. And Steve Alford famously wanted to try out a, a tractor. You know, I was, Iowans are kind of you know touchy about their tractors. And so he was, he would, and it was a like a lawnmower or something like that. And he claimed that the, the dealership gave it to him as a gift, you know, because he's a head coach. They said, well, you know, it's, we're just letting you test it out. Anyway, they, they ended up, they, they ended up repossessing it by convinced his wife that you're coming to service the tra- the tractor and took it away. Now, those are the kind of stories that you get, if you're not winning or if you're having real, a lot of dissension and players leaving the program, which is what happened to Steve Alford. When I was there, it was the same year they got Steve Alford and Kirk Ferentz and n- no one was excited about Kirk Ferentz and everyone was super excited about, about Steve Alford because, you know, he was a golden child from Indiana. He, I can't remember where he was before that, but he was successful wherever he was Southeast Missouri state maybe. Uh, and yeah. And so anyway, correct. so that sort of falls to pieces. Then they get lick lighter. And so I think what's really happened is it's been so long since they've been successful that now sort of any, you know, level of success feels great. And I think they'll take it. Now, are they going to feel the same yeah. way in four or five years? They keep like, you know, butting up against the ceiling where they're not quite, you know, getting over the, the, the hump. I don't know. I mean, I think at some point people at Iowa, although they're content now, I don't see, think they'll stay content. And so he will have to get, he will have to get better recruiting. Well, that's an interesting point, right? Do they get do they get spoiled if he if he makes a tournament, say the next two three years running, but they don't? They still fail to do anything in March. They don't win the Big Ten. Yeah, will 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 that goodwill eventually run out? But it's it's interesting to me. You don't think it's you don't think there's any of that there because I I wonder about that. And and part of the reason I raised this, by the way, it's not strictly an academic exercise. Um. I, when my thoughts at Michigan in a Michigan state context turn to what comes after Tom Izzo, um, the odds are really, really, really good that whatever comes next is going to be found wanted for sure in comparison. That's just how it is. I mean, I'd love to be wrong about that. Let's hope that I am, but the odds would tell you that doesn't even mean that the next guy who follows will do a bad job. It just, I mean, the standard is incredible when you are able to get out of myopia and step back from it and look at what's been accomplished. Um, 
you know, Michigan State is way beyond where even Iowa was in their heyday. But it does it does make me wonder, you know, what the tolerance do are, are people at Michigan State twenty years after Izzo retires going to be kind of like some Indiana fans now, let's say, where they still hold on to this sense of entitlement that, or, or Michigan yeah. football fans, let's say. Yeah, I think so that's too, another yeah. good example of it where they have this sense of entitlement that, well, no, we are, we are, you know, it is bestowed upon us by God that our program is elite. Even when, you know, the track record over quite a bit of time says otherwise, um, you know, I just, it's not exactly the same thing, but I think you get my point. I wondered about that. Like, are, is there a constituency of, of Hawkeye fans that believes like, yeah, this is all right. It's better than it's been, but it's still not where we ought to be. Yeah. I mean, that's the team is much more entertaining than they've been for years. I mean, just, well, they're fun them. to watch. They're a fun I, team to I, watch. And so that helps, you know, I kind of, I kind of despise, um, Fran's philosophy <laughs> at a base level. I really yeah. do because I think, I think it's, um, you know, when, when you just don't give a shit about defense and, and in fairness to him, I actually in preparation for this preview, I went back and looked and believe it or not, if you go back five or six years, he had some top 40 defenses. It was shocking to me to see it because in the last few years where they've actually been pretty competitive, the best period of basketball at Iowa in 30 years, arguably, they've just been God awful. So bad that last season's number 80 looked pretty good <laughs> yeah, right. in yeah. that context, you know, and I just uh, offensively, they're fine. I mean, they like to run. Um, they're very efficient. You know, they do. They're, they're very exciting brand of basketball to watch, but I just find it hard to to see a program i felt the same way about john beeline's michigan until the tail end of his run same exact thing it's like if you don't even pretend to give half a shit about the defensive end i really can't can only respect what you do so much because i think that's a that's almost a guaranteed losing hand when it really matters you know when you get to march if you can't guard anybody somebody's gonna get you early Almost guaranteed. Beeline managed to beat that a couple times, but not consistently. Right. It's really hard to do. And and I just feel like if if and maybe that's something I don't know that we'll ever see it, but it has occurred to me, boy, if Fran took a page out of Beeline's book and just came to grips with the fact that either he doesn't understand defense or he doesn't care enough about it. He doesn't know how to teach it, whatever it is. And he hired an assistant who had some chops and made like Michigan had two straight guys. They had Billy Donlin and then Yaklich that Beeline brought in at the tail end of his tenure there, who really got them to become a solid defensive program. If, if Fran would be willing to do the same thing, maybe that would help Iowa get into that true contender status in the league rather than kind of the false contender they've been the last couple of years, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. And I, I think, uh, anytime you have more ways that you can, than one to win, you're going to have more success, right? I mean, that's, you can win the ugly game, you win the pretty game, whatever, right? You've, you got to, and that's big 10 too, right? They're dice where you just can't hit the three. You can't, you know, you turn the ball over more than you think. 
it cuts the other way. I mean, there were te- if you if you look at teams like Virginia up until the point that he finally had the breakthrough, won the national title with a team that was much more versatile and much more gifted offensively than what he had had. But Tony Bennett had some teams that were really, really good. And I mean, Michigan State fans know this because we ended their season a couple of times. But you felt like in a tournament game where you needed some moments where you had guys that could just go out and, you know, make what I call like a, a 90, 99th percentile play, by which I mean you have a guy that can just go out and make an offensive play that 99% of the country can't make or grab a rebound that 99% of the guys on the floor would not get. Michigan State typically has had those guys. You know, you think of somebody like Brandon Dawson, for example, who was so huge in a win over Virginia one year, or Adrian Payne is a senior, you know, or Gary Harris. They've had those kind of guys, and Virginia really didn't. And I felt like that was part of why they struggled so much in March. And they're the polar opposite of Iowa. Right. You know, they're 180 degrees removed, but it was a problem for them, too, because they could really only win the one way. And if they couldn't dictate the way the game was played and in March, sometimes you're not going to be able to. They were they were in trouble. And I was the other side of that. They can only play one way. And if you you have somebody come in and control tempo and turn it into a half court, low possession game, they'll struggle. Yeah. I mean, that's how Wisconsin used to be, right? They would beat you on defense. They'd Wisconsin to score too. down to the fifties. And then when they finally got people scoring, they were lethal. It is no accident that when Bo Ryan finally had his breakthrough, it was when he actually had some guys. If you think about where Kaminsky was and, and I guess Sam Decker would be the other guy who was an atypical Wisconsin player. When he had those back-to-back Final Four teams, it just so happened to be the years he had guys who were just that much more gifted offensively than anything he'd had before. So, yeah, it's and and I think it's it's that versatility in terms of ways you can play is absolutely a huge part of the reason why Tom Izzo's been to what is it eight Final Fours? Yeah, right. And counting. Yeah, no question. And and I think. And I do, I think the most important thing with the Iowa thing is it has been so long since they were really good in that with the levels of success, like in the eighties that most people just don't remember. I mean, even if you're, I mean, if you're thinking about it, if you're in your formative years, you're about 60 right now or, you know, mid fifties when you remember Iowa being really good. And that's just not a huge part of it. It's certainly not going to be the most rabid part of your fan base. Yeah. Right. And you're so right, the, you're right about that. And if so that's going to make a difference. If you're 40 or younger you don't have a great memory of Iowa being great. It's like kids now, yeah. they're, thir- they're under 30. They don't remember Michigan State being just pummeled every year by Michigan in football. Right. <laughs> it, well, it seems crazy to them. That yeah. So, Or not or not making the NCAA tournament as a birthright. Yeah. Right, yeah. It's, yeah. And, it's the, and, yeah, I, don't, and right. I don't know if, you know, it's on some level, some level, I think it's probably appropriate to say it's spoiled, but others, it's just, that's just the expectation with the fan base. And I think that is... A level of excellence is maybe a better way of putting it sometimes. Yeah, fans expect it all the time and they get real crabby if it doesn't happen. But I think that's just, you know, that is probably a healthy thing to have in your fan base. But you should also, of course, have some reflection, recognize that these things are not, you know, it's it turns out the Final Four, Rod, is not on the schedule. <laughs> you exactly. actually have to get, right? It's, it's not on the schedule. You have to earn your way there. And it's a very difficult thing to do, much more difficult than I think some people in the Michigan State fan base have a real appreciation for Again, ask Iowa fans 
1980. Yeah. That's the last time. 1980 is the last time Iowa won a Big Ten title in basketball, regular season title. And that's not the last time they had a good team. I mean, they've had a lot of good teams that you think would have they a chance. They had some to, good teams in the mid. They had some enough. good teams in the mid '80s and and late and late '80s. They, but the problem during that period was, as good as they were, they were still overshadowed. You know, you had Michigan, Illinois, Indiana have. Yeah either national championship teams or, or national championship contenders. And so as good as Iowa was, they might've only been like the fourth best team in the big 10, you know? Yeah. Well, and you were right in your prediction two years ago that despite Iowa having this amazing offense, which I think maybe it was even more impressive than you had anticipated. They just lacked yes. any sort of chops defensively. That just was their hamstring. And that was what limited them from being as successful. You think they would be able to in the big 10, and in the NCAA tournament, I maintain if you can't defend your odds for really excelling, for being a truly great team, like a title contender, a, a team that can go into the second or even third weekend of the tournament, your odds get extremely tight as to whether you can pull that off. And it gets back to what we were saying. You, you start to see the number of ways you can credibly think that you can win games start to shrink pretty dramatically. And I think that's been Iowa's issue. Now, having said, bringing it back to the topic at hand last year and then this coming year, I think I, despite having said all of that, I think last year's Iowa team came pretty damn close to maxing out what they could have reasonably been expected to do. You know, it was, it was remarkable and a big surprise for them to go 12 and eight in a deep big 10 to win the Big Ten tournament by winning four games, not three, because they didn't earn the double buy. Uh, that is, and they they handled Purdue in the title game, and Purdue had one more day of rest, and Iowa still yeah, well, beat them pretty soundly in the title game. And I think they may set a record for points scored against Northwestern. Did they score over a hundred points? That yeah, game? it was. Yep. that was insane. I mean, it was Northwestern, so, but still, it was. It was a yeah. So it was a really good. The, the only thing that would have made it better where you could critique Fran, I think was that they again went out in the first round of the tournament. They got beat by Richmond. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's something that again, I, I wonder, but I guess it's not there yet. Do fans in Iowa hold him really accountable for that? Or is it just kind of a, Hey, we're happy to be there right now. You know, just as long as we're in the tournament for now, that's good enough. Um, but they, they haven't gone on a run despite, you know, having this relative success for the last four years. Uh, but, but last year, I don't hold that against them. I think to achieve what they achieved, Hey, give them credit. Yeah. They probably should have done more with the, the season before with head guards and Wieskamp. That's when you expected a little bit more out of the team. That would be the year where you could maybe critique yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's talk about the team. I mean, it is obviously uh, full disclosure. I, I was my second base favorite team. It's your second least favorite team in the Big Ten. So I think we're we even things up. That's there. right. Yeah. Because <laughs> I stunned that anyone actually didn't like Iowa, but it's who's not like from Minnesota or Nebraska. It's very it's very idios for very idiosyncratic reasons. I, I don't know if I've ever told the story here, but um, when I was fourteen. Um, and people who grew up in the Lansing area probably would be familiar with this. Sometimes your, your high school's athletic boosters get the opportunity to go raise money for your athletic department. 
by having kids go sell <laughs> right, concessions yeah. in this in Spartan Stadium. And so my high school did that. Um, my freshman year, I got roped into doing it. It was a cold, kind of miserable, treacherous day. And um, I was selling Cokes, walking the aisles, and I was in the Iowa section and I, I was at a I was at a row and somebody about halfway down the row bought one. And so I was doing what you're supposed to do, which is you you hand it to the first person on the row and they pass it down and the money comes back to you. Well, I had this Iowa fan refuse to do anything. He refused to help. Meanwhile, I'm carrying a tray full <laughs> of like, I don't know what it was, 20 Cokes weighs yeah. a lot. Right. And and uh, and it's cold and the wind's whipping and this Jack with you know common courtesy. So from that moment forward, I decided that that was the biggest collection of dips on the planet. And I have to say, I've been fortunate enough to travel this country far and wide. And Iowa is right there with Nebraska for dullest state in the union from where I, from where I sit drive. When you have to drive across it, just like Nebraska, it is endless horizon all day. There's nothing to see the I've been in, you know, Iowa city, Des Moines. I've been in these places, snoozeville. I mean, they call Indianapolis nap town. No, those are nap towns. So all of that. And I recognize that it's idiosyncratic and, and there probably are more yeah, people sure. that think, Oh, they're really nice fans. When they come to town it was not my experience. And you're the impressive. Right. So it sticks with you. You're at a formative yeah, point right, totally. and it sticks with you. And I just, you know, <laughs> and I had no strong feelings about them either way. You know, most of the, most of the big 10, I don't, you know, other than the obvious, I don't really care about either way. Yeah. You know, I don't have strong negative feelings about them. I don't have strong positive feelings about them unless it happens to be like an individual coach comes along that I kind of like or whatever. But I had no reason to dislike Iowa before that particularly. But, um, yeah, screw them. That's that's where I'm at. <laughs> it's probably not going to change. Well, and. And I uh, and I married an Iowan and I, of course, I spent eight years there in medical school and residency training. And so I got to love the state and uh, I got to know the idiosyncrasies of Iowa as well and all the good things and the bad things about it. And certainly the horizon thing is something I missed in Michigan because I could actually see trees right. and stuff. And my wife, when we go back for a number of years after we moved to Michigan here, she'd, go, she'd start crying as soon as we crossed the Mississippi because she could you know, see a long ways in the distance in the cornfield. <laughs> like, it's whatever you get to grow up next. I guess. Uh, well, let's talk about the, let's talk about the team. Uh, and obviously, so another thing, other thing, of course, is that I watched every Iowa game last year. So I'm very aware of Iowa. Actually, my dad's an alma mater is Drake, sure. which is a university in Des Moines, yep. in Missouri Valley. And they've actually been pretty successful the last couple of years. So I've watched a number of Drake basketball games as well, in addition to, of course, every Spartan game. Well, let's talk about the parting players. And number one, of course, is Keegan Murray, the twin brother of Chris Murray. He was... He looked very good. He kind of worked his way into the lineup. I don't think he was ever a starter the season before, but he definitely looked really good. And he would bring some defensive, I guess, prowess to the team when they did, last year where they didn't have much, or I should say the year before. Uh, and of course, you know, he had what he, I don't know what he got drafted as top ten, but uh, he was obviously the main scorer. He scored twenty three and a half points a game. 
He had 8.7 rebounds a game. He had a ton of double-doubles in the season. He shot 55, 40, and 75. And yeah, so he's number four from going to Sacramento. I mean, he's obviously a gigantic departure for the team, and uh, he was a huge bright spot for last season. You didn't see that coming. I mean, I, it was it was pretty obvious. Not that much, It was no. pretty obvious that he was going to be a main cog and perhaps the main cog. When he came in, both he and his brother were outside the top 150. And believe it or not, there were actually claims of nepotism from some quarters of the Iowa fan base taking these two. Their father, of course, is Keegan Murray, was a great Iowa player in the 90s. Kenyon Murray. Kenyon Murray, Murray, I'm sorry. Right, Keegan's who we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Kenyon Murray, um, who's a 6'5 wing, smaller than his son's. Uh, a great player, not only in Iowa history, but in the state of Michigan history. He was Mr. Basketball in the state of Michigan out of Battle Creek Central. Um, and Iowa, that's why I said there was a, a once upon a time, Iowa was able to actually get kids out of the state of Michigan. Um, Kenyon Murray being one of them. Um, so there was a suggestion in the fan base that, oh, they took these two, not just one kid, but two scholarship spots. To these guys who, you know, weren't ranked, you know, nobody, there wasn't really competition for them per se on the recruiting trail. And these guys are just taking up space and they can't play. Well, we found out pretty quickly, as you said, on a veteran team had a lot of experience and not an obvious role for him. Keegan Murray forced his way solidly into that rotation as a freshman. And so you could see it coming that last year, all right, they lost their two leading scorers. Somebody's got to step up. He's obviously going to be a starter and probably showed enough to suggest that he'll be their leading scorer among their leading rebounders. You know, but those things weren't surprising. The levels to which he did it was what was surprising. I would have, ex- I know what I was thinking going into last season. I figured, Maybe he'll be a 15, 16 point a night guy, you know, six or seven rebounds, solid year. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe a third team, all big 10 kind of player. That's what I expected. Instead, we were talking about a guy who pretty much was on the same level as what Luca Garza had been the year before national player of the year contender. This is a more dynamic player than Luca Garza. Oh, clearly a guy with better pro upside yeah, for right, sure. Obviously. But I'm talking yeah. about even just in the way he was perceived in product and, and in production terms, he was very close to that, and nobody saw that coming. I mean, his and his efficiency, you know, forty percent from three for a six eight guy who was truly a college level <laughs> yeah. power forward, and probably in the NBA too. Um, very remarkable stuff. True three level score, decent defender, good rebounder, had a great sense of how to score. I think the one thing you can ding him on, and it's why I was glad as a Pistons fan that the draft went the way it went, is I don't know if he is a anything more than a mediocre athlete at the NBA level. We'll find out. Sacra- he had a right. very good summer for Sacramento. So his summer league performance was apparently very good. I didn't see any of it, but reading the reports, they were very happy personally. um, You know, Detroit drafted fifth Sacramento drafted fourth. I wanted Jaden Ivy from Purdue and that's who the Pistons got. And they only got him because Sacramento 
just decided they they wanted Keegan Murray a little more and took him. And and I was happy with that. Some of that also has to do with the way the Pistons roster is set. I think they needed a guy like Ivy more. But regardless, I, I think there's a chance both franchises are pretty happy with the guys they got. And um, yeah, I mean, to get pick number four as a sophomore, pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. And nobody would have seen that coming either at this time last year. No, no way. Yeah, I, I feel like a good equivalent, if you want to use Michigan State, would be that he's sort of like a he's like a Jaden Akins, a person you expected who worked his way into rotation, like you said, looked like he showed some signs of being a bigger player the next year, but you did not expect what he became. He You expect more, but not you know a ton more. <laughs> I hope that's a prophetic statement. I personally would be, I'd be okay with about half of Keegan's scoring output from Jaden Akins this year. I could live with that, like 12 points a night. That would be fine. If it gets anywhere close to 20, uh, I might be doing cartwheels. Um, but yeah, I get your meaning. Yeah, and then of course you're talking about his departure. <laughs> it was kind of like uh, Michigan State has had some guys like him before. You know, Draymond Green and Xavier Tillman are the two best examples where they were freshmen on very good, very experienced, very deep teams who at the start of the year – you looked at it and thought, well, maybe they redshirt. If they don't redshirt, they're probably not going to play much. And by February, they were both firmly in the rotation. They had just forced their way into a spot where it didn't appear there was one. The difference is neither of both those guys were really good as sophomores, you know, especially X, but neither of them put up the kind of seasons that Keegan Murray, that's where he leaves the stratosphere is the kind of year he had as a sophomore. Right, yeah. It was just incredible. Absolutely. Uh, so another player departing is Jordan Bohannon, who I think was on the team even longer than Brad Davison was on the team. Exactly the same. 21 years. Redshirt year because of, because of his, his, his hip injury. Six-foot guard, averaged 11 points a game in his final campaign, shot 39, 38, and 89, finished third in the team in assists. They're going to obviously miss his deep shooting. He was a streaky guy if he, when he was on some games yeah. boy i can't remember what game it last season he just hit like against Mississippi maryland he had like seven or eight three it was insane yeah he he was a guy and he was better as on the ball than he was actually something coming around and getting you know he was better playing as a point guard even though he probably wasn't very good that as good a point guard purely that way and, and defensively he was not you know he's not athletic and so he had a lot of a lot of trouble on defense he's up there among the worst individual defenders um, that I've seen in, say, the last 10 years in the Big Ten. I think Spike Albrecht was in that category um, at Michigan, and and they were actually pretty similar players. Bohannon a little more accomplished, but they reminded me of each other. But, uh, my, my problem with Bohannon was the year before last when in the, in the preseason – he was quoted as saying he he was upset that Iowa was not ranked number one in the preseason. And I thought, what have you ever done to deserve that? I mean, it just, it just you play for <laughs> Iowa. Relax. Prove something. You know? And, of course, they didn't back it yeah. up. But, um, look, he was a guy, and you mentioned the streakiness, and that's, that's kind of what he evolved into. I thought earlier on in his career, he was a little more consistent, but the last couple of seasons, I agree. right. Is that strike you the same way that he just, he kind of became this guy who could 
boy, he could maybe have a night where he hits five or six triples, and then he could the next time out go over five. Yeah, and I don't know if that was his from his hip injury. Yeah, that maybe sort of affected his shot a little bit maybe. or something. I'm not sure, but yeah, he was definitely not. Yeah, he I agree. He was just not as consistent. He would be. He would definitely was much a much streakier shooter. And he'd go almost like three games in a row, and then he'd be off for four. Yeah, know, look, they're they're going to miss him from this perspective. A, a big, big, big part of Iowa's success the, these last few years has been predicated on the fact that not only have they had effective post scores, but they've just had great three-point shooting. So it forces you to pick your poison. And Bohannon was part of that, because even if he's missing, he's a credible threat. You've got to account for him. And so replacing that is not a given, you know? So in that sense, he creates a hole. I do think it's quite probable that whomever inherits those minutes is going to perhaps have a reasonable chance to provide better two-way play. If you know what I mean? Without a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. So another former starter who then, started coming off the bench at the end of the season. So his departure is not too surprising. Joe Toussaint, he's a six foot point guard, 4.3 points a game and 42, 26 and 84. I didn't even think he shot 26% that well, uh, led the team in assists with 114 assists, 20, 49 turnovers, which led to, I was good turnover percentage, super athletic, super fast. He was always a person who's going 60 in a 35, um, uh, on the road. And so he was out of control a lot of the times and that caused a lot of his problems. It, it's why he got the steals and why he, <laughs> Would would have problems on the offensive end a lot of times. It he he very much reminded me of Tum Tum, just really okay. quick, but not really good shooter. And and so just he's do you think that way. as someone who watched a lot of them, do you think that ultimately it was the inability to develop more consistency with the jumper that really sank him? Absolutely, he couldn't okay. score. Right, that was his problem. That he could get he could get into the lane, but he couldn't yeah. score even if he got in there. And uh, and Tony Perkins emerged as a better shooter for one thing. And then just a, a guy who could create, he had a little more size and he could, he was not a liability defensively. I, I think maybe Tucson gave you a little bit more, but yeah, I think that's why I think that's okay. why it happened. And we'll talk about Tony Perkins when we get to this year's team. And I, you know, he's, he's definitely a guy that I think deserves to be in the, you know, any list of breakout candidates in the big 10. Cause he really did close the season impressively for them. In fact, I felt like, his insertion into a bigger role kind of coincided with Iowa finding themselves as a team. Absolutely. No question. That's when they started playing better when he was in the starting lineup. Uh, next is uh, Austin Ash. He was a rarely used bench player. He averaged 2.9 points a game, uh, transferred to Citadel. He was just a fan favorite. Right. Pretty much. Not a, story. not a big loss. Yeah. <laughs> Returning players, Patrick McCaffrey, 6'9", Redshirt Jr., he's the one who had cancer. They talk about every single time you watch a game. He was able to stay healthy this season and uh, played most of the season. He averaged 10.5 points a game, 3.6 rebounds a game, shot 42, 33, and 71, had a better than 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. And he was always a guy who never seemed super athletic, but he would find either the right angles or just he just kind of looked awkward, but he was always able to score. And, you know, and I guess you, know, you, have, to, you have to say that it was it was great for him seeing him just able to play right after after so many health problems most notably cancer but not just cancer um for him to overcome that and be able to get out there and 
and have a really good season. And, and frankly, I think show the potential to maybe do even more. I think the big key for him is can he raise that deep shooting up another level? Because Iowa probably needs him to be a little bit better. I think they're going to look to him to take more shots this year. Uh, you know, you don't lose guys like Keegan Murray and, and even Bohannon and not feel the need to find some scoring. Now, other guys are going to, the next guy we'll talk about in particular, probably is going to take a lot of that burden, but, but probably not all of it. So they need, they need McCaffrey to be better. But um, I think we started to see last season, the kind of player he can be a, a guy who, you know, can do a lot of different things, kind of the way his older brother does, but he's bigger and I think just more talented. He has much more offensive potential than uh, than Connor ever possessed. Yeah, no question. He's he's a better he's a better scorer than than Connor. Uh, so let's talk about Chris Murray because that's the other half of the the Murray twins. He was the one who was. Totally the afterthought. And that if there's anyone that the Iowa fan base was upset with them taking, it was him. Like, why is this guy even on the team? He go out there and look lost his freshman year. And there's, you know, a mountain of difference between Keegan and Chris Murray freshman year. Last season changed a little bit. He's 6'8", 225. Uh, he's averaged 9.7 points a game and 4.3 rebounds a game as a reserve, playing only 17 minutes. He shot 48, 39, and 65. And that was a big noticeable change from his freshman year where he, I mean, maybe it's just a bit more confidence that he could shoot. And so the, the question of course with the key uh, with Chris is, can he be a Keegan light? I mean, is it possible that he's going to be more than what he was? I, I tend to think since with his, he had a number of bursts in various games that he was more that he can do that, but probably not anywhere near the level of Keegan was at from a consistent level. But I guess we'll, you know, <laughs> time will tell. If, if the expectation is, well, can he be what Keegan was as a sophomore? That's a really, really high bar. So I would, I would yeah. bet the under on that from a production standpoint. However, can Chris Murray be a really good player? Can he even be a guy who could be a draft pick after next season? I think the answer is yes to both of those. Uh, he was in the NBA draft this year. He ended up pulling out probably for good reason, but I, I don't think that closes the door on him as an NBA prospect. I think NBA teams probably see need to see a year where he's the main guy and is just asked to do a little bit more. Um, you know, there was a game where his brother was out and he dropped 29 against Indiana. So he's had right, already yeah. in his career, even as a reserve, he's had individual moments where he took over. And I happened to see that game, and he pretty much looked and played exactly the way Keegan does or did. Um, so, again, I think you look at the numbers, they're pretty solid. He should be a three-level scoring threat. So good three-point shooter, has a mid-range game, and he's got enough size and, and sense around the rim that he'll be able to do some damage in the paint as well. Um, they need him to elevate his play substantially. I mean, again – I don't think setting the bar at 23 plus a night is fair, but could he be a 16, 17 point a night guy and lead the team in rebounding? Yeah. I don't, I don't find that far fetched at all. Yeah. I think he's going to be the same shooter he was. And the one thing that he really lacked that Keegan is, was the ability to sort of force buckets in the, in the paint, in the paint, you know, he yeah. just had, he really struggled inside of like, you know, six to 10 feet to really get, 
separation to get a shot up. So that's his. That's where he sort of is lacking for what Keegan Wish could do. So that's where he needs to see that that kind of development. You're right about that. That was something that Keegan had a real knack for is creating uh, creating points for his team out of seemingly not much. Being able to use his body to create enough space to score in traffic. Um, so maybe that ends up being a separator, but, you know, I look at him athletically. I look at his size. There's not a lot of difference. No. Well, yeah, they're, they're so, twins. <laughs> they I think, look right. Like it, yeah. So I think, so I think that, um, I think there's a chance that we'll see development in that area, but that's a good point as, as something that he lacked last season that his brother had. And I certainly think in Fran's system, you probably have a better chance of, of, developing those and, and uh, highlighting right. more than you can uh, maybe other systems. Right. So let's talk about Tony Perkins. We briefly touched on him. He's a six, four junior guard. He averaged 7.4 points a game on 45, 32 and 80 shooting. He started the second half of the season and that, and I agree with you that when he started over Joe Toussaint, that's when Iowa season took a turn for much better. Cause they were, they were languishing for quite a while and it didn't look like they were going to even have right. a 500 record. And then he came in and that just team started clicking better and he was a guy who played a little bit the year before and you know, not at all really as a freshman for obvious reasons because of that team. And he never looked like a, there was much there, but definitely early in the season he looked like he was better offensively. And aside from his shooting, the outside shooting is about the only thing that you'd say it's his problem right now that he's to fix. Yeah, I, I mentioned, you know, Fran still hasn't really had a big breakthrough in terms of landing elite-level recruits. Tony Perkins is a kid out of Indiana. Neither of the Big Ten in-state schools offered, to my knowledge. Um, he was well outside the top 100. When they got him, I, I remember thinking, boy, this is kind of a reach, you know, if you think you're going to be able to sustain your program with guys like this. But, yeah, halfway through last season, it's like the light switch just came mm -hmm. on for him. Um, he seems to be a true combo guard. I don't think – they're not going to have him be the primary point, but the kid averaged like four assists a game over his last 11 games. So he's clearly capable of making plays for others. In my observation, he seemed to be at his best kind of in transition, kind of playing downhill, maybe like a bargain basement Jaden Ivey in <laughs> that, you know, he's not that level of player, but he's got some good athleticism. He's got some good size and can be pretty effective when when the game gets a little loose, you know, as game, Iowa games tend to because they want to run and can make things happen that way. I think, as you noted, the the next level for him is probably set at can he shoot the ball better from range? You know, if he could move up to even a mid to high 30s guy from three, well, then you're really talking about something. Um, as a guy who's very tough to cover, but yeah, he seems a lock. I, I think these first three guys we've talked about are Iowa's big three for this season. They're the three guys that I think you'd feel the most confidence in, in terms of being players that could step up to a new level this season and be focal points as opposed to, uh, support guys. Right. And let's talk about the support guys. Philippe Robacha, he's a 6'9 transfer. I think he came from North Dakota. He was the one That's who right. came in to replace Garza. Played all the games. He was a starter, obviously. Averaged 5.8 points a game, 5.6 rebounds per game, shot 53, 16, and 60. 
he's he was actually a very solid per player. He, he kind of knew who he was. Uh, I don't expect him to progress a whole lot from what he was in the last year either. He sort of it just is what he is, and it's he's the main reason people were kind of down in Iowa from the year before because it was a huge drop off from Garza. Now, of course, expecting that Keegan Murray takes such a big jump. Right, and and I agree with you. I think he's he's a solid guy at that position. Uh, as long as you don't have unrealistic expectations, unlike Garza, he's not a floor stretcher. So kind of what you see is what you get. He's going to get you, you know, maybe a bucket or two around the rim and post-ups, maybe get you a garbage basket or an offensive rebound here or there. You know, he'll at least provide some size defensively and he'll grab some rebounds. So that's, that's kind of it that he knows how to play plays within himself and, you know, takes up, uh, occupies a position that they needed someone and they still need someone because beyond him, it's a lot of younger slash unproven guys. So at least he's a veteran who's done it, has experience and, and they know what they're going to get from him. Next returning player was Aaron Eulis. He's a six, three junior point guard. He's the expected point guard starting for the season to replace Bohannon. He averaged 3.1 points a game and 13 minutes on 34, 33, and 79 shooting. Second in the team in assists with a better than two and a half to one assisted turnover ratio. So I think, you know, with my observation with Ulysses, he really would at times struggle to know what to do. And so I, I wonder how he'll do playing more minutes. And I, he had times when he looked really good and other times he just looked like he was lost. And I, I don't know, that'll be the, that'd be the question if I was a you know, big Iowa fan what is he going to be able to do next season? Because you could easily see him not progressing and then you're going to be in trouble because as you mentioned before, Perkins is not a guy who's going to be able to run a half court offense. Yeah. And, and Ulysses is in a competition with a freshman uh, for that starting point guard spot. So it's not definitively his, but I think you'd probably call him the favorite because he's in year three in the program. Um, again, like with Perkins, the shooting numbers are okay, but they probably need to be elevated for Iowa to be Iowa. I mean, let's yep. put it this way. I think it's tough for Fran to do his thing if both of his starting guards are like low 30s shooters. That's Those aren't Iowa-type numbers, you know? Um, the thing you like about Ulysses is he's a pretty good athlete and he's got good size. It's remarkable, you know, his older brother who um, – I'm sure everybody remembers uh, played at Kentucky was a kid that Michigan state recruited, uh, but he only went about five, eight, five, nine. I mean, it's remarkable. There's that much of a size difference between the two of them, but um, I'll take your word for it in terms of the inconsistency. I thought, you know, his improvement wasn't quite as dramatic as Perkins, but I did think he showed more as last season went along. So it'll be interesting to me what, what he can sustain from that, and can he break through to a, another level as a potential starter? Uh, next will be Peyton Sanford. <clears throat> He's a six-seven sophomore. He averaged five points a game on 42, 37, and 94 shooting as a freshman. And he's, I feel like he's, they have players like this all the time on Fran's team. A guy who comes out of Iowa, and he can, he can really shoot well from, from deep. And I would say he's a little bit more athletic than some of the guys they've had in, in the past out uh, shooting the threes, but he's a, he's a player who worked his way into the rotation a little bit, despite not having a, not scoring a ton. And he showed some ability, I think defensively to do some things. 
And I guess it'll just depend on how he progresses from into his sophomore season. Yeah, I mean, look, the bottom line is he can shoot and he's got some size. And if you've got those two things, you're going to play for Fran. <laughs> and this team, especially where I really do think they need to find some shooting to be uh, what Iowa has been. They need to find some shooting. And so an obvious place to look would be, well, expand Sanford's minutes. I think he's going to play a lot off their bench. Um, given that, you know, whichever of Murray or McCaffrey is not the four will be the three and Perkins is the two. It's hard to imagine him being a starter on this team, but it's pretty easy for me to see him as a sixth man and getting a lot of time especially if some of these other guys don't take that next step up as deep shooters, because that's the one thing we know he can do as to him, maybe having some more elements than some other guys who have been in that role in the past for Iowa. That would be nice if he can, uh, if he can make good on that. Um, but we'll see. Next is Connor McCaffrey, Patrick's older brother, who's a six, six, fifth year senior used to be a starting point guard. He's been playing off the bench the last two years. He averaged two and a half points a game and two and a half rebounds a game, uh, posting 63 assists to just 15 turnovers. He shot 35, 34, and 72, uh, playing 17 minutes a game. That 34% on three is about double what I swear, what I swear he saw shot the first couple of years. He really improved that a lot. Uh, of course, lower volume, and uh, it it would not be it the his biggest success I think, especially the year before that, was because he was so good at feeding the post. He is so. Um, talented at feeding the posts and with his passes that he was perfect for Garza. But when you didn't have that presence in there, you didn't need him as much. There's there you go. Left the starting yep. role as, as point guard. Agree. Agree. And he still, look, it's nice to look a fifth year guy who just does not make mistakes, has good size and knows how to play the way Fran wants to play. That's not nothing. So I think he's certainly going to have a role. Like the only question becomes how big that role is, but I, I would expect he's going to be solidly into double digits and minutes played per game. He just, he does too many things that Fran values tonight. And, you know, needless to say, he's also his son. So um, <laughs> you would expect that he will play some. I just think part of the problem for Iowa though, is again, he's another guy who in my opinion is a God awful defensive player. And it really creates problems when he has to match up with somebody who's dynamic on the offensive end. He just can't guard them very well. And so the more he has to play, like the lower Iowa's ceiling is because he's just not going to guard anybody. Where at least with guys like Perkins or maybe even Sanford, you maybe have reason to hope that they can be better. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if he was shooting 40% from three, it'd be a different story too, right? That's the, if, I mean, he, he'll see more minutes if he can shoot a, around 40, but. If, yeah, if he, then, if he, right. If he solves, if he partially solved the shooting issues himself and really busted out this year, yeah, you're right. That would justify a bigger role. Next is Josh Agundale. He's a 6'11", 265 junior. Didn't play a whole lot. He hit the portal and then was convinced that Iowa City actually was a great city, and so he decided to stay. He's, aver <laughs> he's averaging one-half yeah. points a game and 1.3 rebounds a game in five minutes. Shot 54% from the floor, 30% uh, from the line. And so it, he's the replacement, I guess you'd say, or the backup for Robracha down low. 
whether he says that, I mean, he looked at times, he looked pretty good. Like he could get some stuff done, Yeah. but he just looked lost a lot of times too, especially in defense, which is saying something for Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about that. I mean, anytime you got a guy with that kind of size and he can move decently, which he looked to me to be able to do at times, you know, you, you have the potential for a little bit of production, but yeah, just not able to get it done defensively. Obviously they spent the time to talk him back into the fold. So they wanted him and it's pretty clear why, because you, you do need a backup option, even if it's for limited minutes, you, you need that, that depth in this conference, right? If at all possible, you, you want to have guys who physically can hang and be a matchup card that you can play, even if it's just for one five minute turn in a game that could matter, you know? So I get it from that perspective. He just, he hasn't had that breakthrough yet to show that he deserves more minutes than he's got. Right. Uh, next is Riley Mulvey, 6'11", 245 pound sophomore. He played in 17 games. I don't even remember this guy playing. And his the expectation was, of course, he's going to take over for Gundelay until he returned. And so he's probably third in the bench to get into that five right. spot. And that's, I think that tells you the, the fact that Iowa put the effort into getting a Gundelay to come back out of the portal tells you how they feel about Mulvey being ready to go. <laughs> right. Probably uh, not. Finally, for returning players, Luke Lakita, 6'4", sophomore wing, played just barely at all. He uh, played only 12 games. Yeah, and you know he's a shooter, shot well in very, very limited volume last year. But you know, you look at Iowa's team, and unless injuries hit or unless the shooting is just a chronic problem, it's hard to see where he breaks through between what's coming back and what they've added. And so let's talk about the newcomers to the team. I mean, this is actually a team that's relatively intact from last year. Uh, one addition is Desante Bowen. He's a six-three freshman point guard from New England. Uh, he's He's an athletic guy, and I guess he's the one who made challenge Ulysses that you were referring to before. That's it. That's the battle. And whichever one doesn't win it is expected to play a substantial role off the bench. Um, you know, if you look at the Fran era, so he's had he's had stars on the wing. You know, he had uh, Jared Utoff early yep. in his run. Um Roy, Roy, Devin, Marvel, um, Weiss camp. Uh, you know, he's had that kind of guy. He's had power forwards. Uh, he had Aaron white early on. And then, um, obviously Keegan Murray last year and then Garza as a center. So he's had stars, in a lot of different positions. The spot he hasn't had a star yet is point guard. He's had serviceable guys. I mean, uh, what was his name? Mike Gessel. Mm-hmm. Um, was okay. And, um, Anthony Clemens from Lansing Sexton was all right. Uh, you know, Bohannon was there kind of times he was okay, but had some weaknesses. He hasn't really had that. So this kid, I I think is a guy they hope can be that he had a scorer's reputation coming out of high school. So we'll see if he's more lead guard or table setter at Iowa. Traditionally under Fran, the point guard has been somebody they really have a high degree of trust in to make the right decisions. You know, very good assist to turnover ratio has been important. What they haven't had is a guy who is dynamic himself, able to get offense for himself with regularity and maybe 
you know, distort defenses by virtue of what he can do on his own. They haven't had any Cassius Winston's or Kalen Lucas's or Keith Applings or guys like that. They just haven't had anybody close to that level. And that might be another reason why you can look at Iowa as a team that's had some moments, but has also had a ceiling to them. Because as we talk about a lot, college basketball, especially is a guards game. So I think whoever wins the battle, they need somebody to step up. And if they want to get beyond where they've been the last few years, it probably is going to include somebody who's able to play point guard at a higher level than what they've become accustomed to. Just my opinion. Yeah, well, I think you're right, and I think that's what they're hoping with Joe Toussaint. They had a guy who's really quick. He seemed very athletic. He's a guy who could get into lane. He just couldn't do anything when he got there, and I think you just don't know right. sometimes until you get the guy in the court and try him out. Finally, uh, Josh Nix for newcomer, 6'4 wing from Iowa. Reputation as a shooter, but has injured his last year of high school. Yeah, and they're, they're uncertain. My understanding is he's back practicing, but there's some uncertainty as to how ready um, he is, uh, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here for him, but it, it kind of feels like, um, the second, you know, as we talked about, you've got Perkins and you've got, uh, the younger McCaffrey as your likely starters on the wing. And then you've got, uh, Sanford and the elder McCaffrey as the backups. It's hard to see an obvious role for somebody else especially somebody coming off a summer where they weren't able to play regularly to practice, but we'll, we'll see. Right. And so let's look at this Iowa team. I mean, we didn't expect much of them last year. I certainly didn't and didn't see the explosion from Keegan Murray and the, the team to sort of bounce back at the end of the season and that big 10 tournament run. They've got less pieces now, probably a little even more uncertainty than they did last year. They lost some senior leadership with Bohannon departing as well. Uh, and you have them picked seventh here. So, kind of middle of the pack, which is kind of what they were last year, but they just sort of, you know, got one or two wins and got seated higher. And that seems to be kind of what you think of this year. Yeah. I, th- I think as opposed to last year though, I didn't have them quite this high in the preseason right. and I didn't, I, I thought they'd be on the wrong side of the NCAA tournament question uh, this year. I do think they should be a tournament team. Hey, look, we, what we had Wisconsin at eighth, right? And we right. had Rutgers at ninth. There's, it's not a lock that I was better than those two teams. But for right now, I'm going to give Fran the benefit of the doubt. And it's mostly because I do think those top three guys we mentioned, McCaffrey, Murray, and Perkins, have a chance to be really good. I think all three of those guys could go up a level from where they were last year. If that happens, well, you could see, you could see a path for Iowa to once again be pretty competitive. You know, they've got some a pretty good level of experience. They've got some depth. You know, I feel like they should be, you know, nine deep at least, maybe ten, um, depending. Um, but it's I, I think it's a team that's got the capability to to be solid. Uh can they be better than last year? Well, if that's going to happen, two things have got to absolutely got to occur. Somehow they got to find a way to get better defensively. And I'm just not convinced that that's likely, uh, but that would certainly help. And then the other thing is, and this could be a path to them maybe disappointing and not meeting this kind of pick that I've got for them. 
they do need to replace that shooting. You know, it's not even just the percentages that Bohannon and Murray posted, which were really good. It's the volume of threes that came from those two guys. It's a lot of shots to replace. And if we look at some of the guys who are, it seems obvious, are going to soak up a lot of those minutes, you've at least got reason to wonder, you know, can Tony Perkins be better? Can Ulysses be better? Can, um, can Patrick McCaffrey be better? You know, there's a few guys in there. Really, the only guy in that proposed starting lineup that you feel pretty good about as a deep shooter coming into the season is Chris Murray. Yeah. And, and you know, and there you're talking about a guy who is going to be going from a reserve role to a starter's role and possibly to be the number one option. So who knows if he's able to maintain it quite the level he shot last year. I think he can, but, you know, that's a fair question. So if, if the three-point shooting goes south, that's a problem. I agree. And I think in general, my guess is that they're going to be worse defensively than they were last year because Keegan Murray is actually pretty good defensively. He would deflect some balls and he'd cause some disruption inside. I mean, they'll have Chris, well, that's a, but they don't have both of them, right? And so they when they worked together, they were actually much better. Right, and they did and they did play together a fair amount, as I yeah, recall. Yeah, a decent amount. Sure, yeah. Because uh, Iowa, went, Iowa went with a lot of small ball lineups, right? Like mm-hmm. they were, as we talked about, Agundale didn't play a lot. So when Rebracha was not on the floor, they were going small ball. Right. They'd often play both Murrays and one of them would play the. Yeah. And they don't really, they don't really have that option seemingly this year. And so I, I look at the team too. And I think, you know, if their turnover percentage is not as good as it was last year, they, they could, they could really be in trouble. (laughs) So I could could see them having a, a really tough season. I mean, we've been going through all the teams and I agree that Rutgers and Wisconsin seem like the next level up. They definitely have way more parts than the teams below them as far as players come in, you, you expect that they do better than them outside of you know crazy injuries. But yeah. there's, there's a hair's bit of difference between all these teams at this point and that you could see it going anyway. Yeah, this is very, very, very difficult. I, I struggled to sort through these teams, um, you know, especially in certain batches like this area, as you mentioned, the difference between Iowa and Rutgers and Wisconsin, very slim. Well, and I guess if you think you can do a better job, we'd encourage you to enter our contest for the Beat Rod contest. You rank the teams 1 through 14. You can do an entry at tffinots at gmail.com. Make sure you leave your name, obviously. And then the number of points with tiebreaker will be how many points Michigan State scores against Michigan this season. Please come on over to our forum. You can sign for free. You can participate with other Spartan fans and talk about MSU hoops and anything else that's going on in basketball. It's been actually a really pretty good discussion considering it's only been up for what, maybe a month and we have yeah, a lot, a lot of know, people lots. on already. Yeah. I'm impressed. And, and we continue, even though Michigan state's done with the 23 class, um, we continue to see lots of activity visits for guys in the 25 class. Um, but we just not directly MSU information, but the day we're recording this, which is, long before the day you're actually hearing this. Um, we just had the news that uh, Tum Tum Nairn got hired as an assistant at Southern Utah, which is coached by Todd Simon, who's a native of Fowler, Michigan, in the Lansing area. So that's the connection. Michigan State's played his program a few years ago. Um, that's a big deal for Michigan State because um, 
you know, Tom was in the mix for the job that Thomas Kelly eventually got on Izzo's staff this summer. But I think probably what hurt him was he doesn't have any collegiate coaching experience other than being a grad assistant at MSU. So this is a path and, and to getting that experience. And I think, you know, I, I think the general perception is that he's a star in the making in the coaching ranks. And so getting an opportunity very at a very young age to get into it at the D one level is a big deal. And that's a positive for Michigan state too. So because in the long run, you got to believe one way or another, he will factor into Michigan state basketball again at some point in his career. Um, so that's a good thing. And these are the kind of things we're talking about on the forum on a daily basis. So the news doesn't stop. The news never stops. It's kept us busy this summer, which has been kind of nice. We've had a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, also continue to subscribe to the show. Make sure you share with other Spartan friends so they can stay up to date on what's going on. And I think, you know, enjoy the podcast as well. If you have any comments or questions, you're certainly welcome to reach out to us at uh, TFFINOTS at gmail.com. You can again find the website at TFFINOTS.com or the final force on the schedule.com if you're willing to type the whole thing out or Michigan State Basketball Podcast. We're also there. But until next time we talk about Purdue, the final force on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.